morning. I always wondered when uh, I come up here to give a message, where do I put my Bible in my notes? I'm not as young as these other guys that get up here and preach. I need a lot of notes. I need to, because my mind doesn't remember the things the way it used to remember. So my Bible, I guess I could have used a smaller Bible or I had less notes. I don't know which, but let's see how it goes and let's see what we do here. Okay, let's see here. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to have trouble doing this. I probably would have practiced ahead of time. Second Kings, Joe. Where's Second Kings? I hope you know where it is. There we go. Okay. This morning I chose uh, a message uh, in Second Kings, chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. And I named it the Healing of Naaman, the Syrian. Um, this is one of the most interesting and unusual stories of the entire Old Testament by Elijah. Elisha. I'm going to mix up. Hopefully I don't make the mistakes Elijah or Elisha. We're talking about Elisha with an S, not Elijah with a J. So <laughs> remember that. As we read and unpack this healing of Naaman, we will see that God is sovereign in all his ways. We will see that how Naaman was guided by some unusual people and was almost misguided by others, and how God, through his prophet Elisha, exposed Naaman's worldly wisdom and pride and brought Naaman to his moment of truth. This message will remind us that God's ways are not our ways, but following them can change our lives forever. So as we look at this story today, we should think about the circumstances in our lives that led us to the miracle of rebirth. Watch how God planted and put everything in place as you look back, if you're saved, if you've already received the Lord Jesus Christ, as you look back and you see everything along the way that brought you to the point of the day when you received the Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, however, if, if you have not received Jesus Christ as yet, open your hearts now and see this, the work of the sovereign God who healed Naaman and can do this for you. Who knows? Maybe that is why you're here today. So let's read um, the story that I'm talking about. So let me pray first. Jesus, while I struggle through a world full of trouble, I need your presence. I need your uplifting love to take me out of the shadows and help me stand in the light of your magnificence. And I pray, Lord, that you be with me at the reading of your word, that your Holy Spirit guide my words and guide what I say, Lord. And I pray that it accomplish the purpose for which you send it, Lord, and all the glory will be yours. But if it doesn't, then all the mistakes belong on me. So, Lord, guide me in your word and guide me in this message. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Okay. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. Aram was modern-day Syria. Um, he was a good, great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him... The Lord had given victory to Aram. And um, he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young, a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram said, replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left 
taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he sent to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent them this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him to say to him, Go, it says, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he surely would come out to meet me and stand and call upon the name of his of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot of and cure my, me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Fapa, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned away, he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, Wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself into the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Please add, bless, uh, add blessings to the reading of the word of God, Lord, and may, it, uh, uh, be, may I have the message that will help people to understand what he's saying there, as you have shown me in my heart what it means, Lord. So please guide me in all this, and I pray this again in Jesus' name. All right, so let's get this out of the way, and then I can start. I have my phone, not because I'm waiting for a call, but because I can tell the time. So, so if something happens, it's not because I'm waiting for a call. So. so, uh in case some might think that this story is folklore uh and never actually happened, we have a very reliable source to prove that it's true. And I believe him. Because it says in Luke's gospel, Jesus says in chapter four, verse twenty seven. And there were many, many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not, a one, not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So verse 5.1, the Bible says, Naaman's commander of the army of the king of Aram, he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord gave victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. Naaman was the commander of the Syrian forces, a friend of the king. He was a great man, highly regarded, victorious, and valiant. He was a man that had power, position, prestige. This guy was loaded. He was successful. He was a winner. He was wealthy. He was a hero. He was respected. He was admired. He was envied. Wow, what a description. And he'll be a hard man to reach because of all the worldly wealth and all the things that we have. 
sometimes block our way to God. We have to get that clutter moved out of our way so that we have that pathway to get to God, to have God call us to himself. But God can overcome everything, as we'll see. As the word of God says, the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Naaman the victory of Israel over Israel. It says not that serious God gave him victory. It says that the God of Israel gave Naaman the victory over Israel. Naaman was not an Israelite, not an heir of the covenant of God made with Israel. If anything, Naaman would be regarded as an enemy of Israel. Although the blessing of heaven attended him and crowned his efforts, and, his fa- and he was favored above many, not that he showed he had acceptance of God, but that divine providence made use of him in accomplishing his will. Had the God of Israel turned against Israel? Has the, the God of Israel turned against Israel? Yes. He did for a while. Idolatry. The king was an idolatrous. The nation was an idolatry. This was a very bad time for Israel. The time of Elijah and Elisha was a time of demonic going on in Israel at the time, and God was rejecting them. So he did send him in there, like he did with Nebuchadnezzar. Earlier on, he sent them in to overthrow all of Israel and Judah, and they were all carried away into Babylon. Same idea. This isn't going to work. I'll do it this way. Okay. However, with all that was, however, with all there was a dark cloud on the horizon for Naaman. There was something which not only thoroughly spoiled his present time, but also his future. He had leprosy. Here is what cast its awful shadow over everything else. He was the victim of a loathsome and incurable disease. Sorry, I'm not looking that way, but... He was pitiful and repulsive object with no prospect whatever of any improvement in his condition. He was marked for a slow, miserable death. Those dreaded words that that diamond history was, you have leprosy. There's nothing more worse because you're sentenced to a low, like I said, a slow, miserable death. When it comes to illnesses and diseases, though, such as there is no respecter of persons. doesn't matter about the Resume I just read on him doesn't matter about the power, the who he knew. There was nothing. He's still going to get ill like the rest of us. He has the best medicine. He has the vitamins. He has the supplements. He has everything. He, but they are not immune to ill health. So too Naaman. His friendship with the king could not heal him. His standing could not heal him. His wealth was of no value. His physicians could not heal him. His future was bleak. He is powerless. powerless. He only has one hope. And that's a miracle. The Bible declares by that, by nature, all of us are spiritual lepers, foul and filthy until the divine presence being alienated from the life of God. Our leprosy is our sin. That in sin that is not atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ leads to spiritual death. And the only cure is the miracle of rebirth by the Holy Spirit. We are powerless. James, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 10:28. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We may occupy a good position in this world, uh, even possibly in the affairs of this life. We may have made good on our vocation and have praiseworthy achievements by human standards in the sight of our friends, but... I'm going the wrong way, okay. But we appear before God... But how do we prepare before God? Do we, do we appear as a child of God or as a sinner? The question has now been, 
Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus? Have you come to the cross? If you have not, then come to Jesus and be washed in his blood. I like this song here. That I, I'm going to sing a, one, one, one line of it. Please, if you want to join in, please do and help me. But What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So everybody understands it's nothing but the blood of Jesus to have salvation. That's the only way. There is no other way, even though some people seem to think there is at different times. Verse 2 and 3. Now bands of, of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. She, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. A message appears in the strangest places sometimes, don't they? We need all people in our lives like this young girl. No matter what their circumstances, they care for us, they look past our pride, see our need, and are not afraid to tell us. Do you have friends like that? They're not afraid to speak up? Only God can arrange for this. So God has determined that Naaman would be cured, and he will be cured. As we look at our own salvation, can we see how God put that one or for some, more than one, person in our path to tell us the truth about God and guide us to the place where we needed to be to receive the grace of God and salvation. They had a young girl captive, strong in her simple faith in the God of Israel, was the means of directing the proud but afflicted Naaman to the divine source of healing, which she was taken away from her home and native land it seemed very unlikely she would be instrument in bringing the light of a high of truth to illumine the darkness of an unbelonging, unbelieving court. Naaman was a Gentile. She was a hated Jew. He was a great man. She was a young girl. He was Naaman. She was unnamed. He was the commander of the army of Syria. She was a captive in the enemy's territory. But he was a leper. Well, she's strange to say... She, made, she was made a contributing instrument of his healing. It has ever been said God's way, it has ever been God's way to make use of the despised and lowly, often in circumstances which seem strange to the human wisdom. And this is really strange. Just think about when she's taken from her home, what her parents, how crushed they must have been at losing their daughter, and the pain that she must have felt when she came into this woman's house to become a servant, what the pain that she did. But she overcomes her pain. She looks to the welfare of her master, and she, as we'll see as we go on here. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 29 says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. There is no boasting here. She shows up. They captured her. Brought her. Why did they bring her to Naaman's wife? Brought her to Naaman's wife, became her servant, and we'll see that she speaks up. She's unashamed. She's unsophisticated. She is just like us today. Her name would not appear in society columns. 
She had no pedigree, no references. By the way, the only place where our name needs to be, Jesus said, is rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's where our names need to be written. doesn't matter whether they know your name here. It's whether he knows your name up there. That's the most important thing. Luke 2, 10, 20. The heroes in heaven will be people you've never heard of. Rewards at the judgment seat of Christ will be needed out to millions of nameless people. Verse 3. She said, to his, her, his, she said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. How sure she is. She was a peacemaker bringing peace to Naaman and his wife and possibly uh, to all of Israel. Matthew 5, 8 says that blessed are the peacemakers for they are children of God. And who knows what she could have done with what she was doing. She was fearless. How dare this Israelite girl speak to a, of a prophet in Israel. Imagine this, speaking of a prophet in a hated per- nation. It was a faith proposal. He would get cured. It shows that the girl completely won the confidence of her mistress. She had developed a relationship that reflected integrity and high credibility. I think of myself when we come to this point here is that um, the pride and the things that get in your way when you are trying to uh, receive the Lord. I, w- I was, uh, thought I was saved and I wasn't. I had all kinds of I had spiritual pride. I knew everything. You didn't have to worry about it. I just ca- I came to church. I fasted. I did all the things you're supposed to do. I knew all the Christian words. I could speak the Christian words all the time, thinking I was saved, but I wasn't. I mean, I was on the, at the Catholic Church. I, I, I was in meetings with Cardinal Law. I was on the parish council. I was a fifth, uh, fifth grade Sunday school teacher. Man, I, I, I had it all. I was so deceived that I thought I was saved, but I wasn't. But there was someone in my life along the way that never gave up, and it's my wife, Young. Now, she would be praying. Two years before I was saved, she was saved. And she'd be at the kitchen table every day reading her Bible. And I'd look and see her, and I'd go the other way. And, you know, I didn't want to get involved in it. And there was times um, she, would, she would take this magazine, Decision Magazine, which from Billy Graham. And in the Decision Magazine would um, advertise the Cove, the Billy Graham Training Center in Asheville, North Carolina. And she would put that in places, opened up to that page where I would see it. And every now and then I'd look at it, and I'd see it. And I'd say, ah, what is that? I don't know. So but she really wanted to go. So one day I decided that, okay, let me see if I can go. Well, there's a lot of things. I'm just going to shorten the story because there's a lot more to it about how I got there. But when we, sh- we, we did go, and when I got there, it's amazing. First off, the teaching I thought was on fellowship, but it was on followership. How to be a follower of Christ. Right where I needed to be at right the time. Right time. And then, I, after every session, they had a small group. And they put you in a great age group in the same, in male with male, female with female, and I had these three or four, I think it's three, other guys in this group. And we started talking, and they kind of looked at me and says, where are you from? And I told them, Massachusetts. He says, uh, what church do you go to? And I says, uh, I go to uh, St. Joseph's in um, uh, uh, Haverhill. And he says, why are you doing here? What? I'm a Christian. He says, you are? He says, what does it mean to be a Christian? And then I, we started to explain one thing. Later, he was so truthful. They just went right after me. And when they went right after me, I finally, and that weekend is the time that I received the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God put Young in my life, God put Joe Stowell, who was doing the message, and he put those men in my life, at that time in my life. And, he, and if, if I tell you the story about how I got there, he was in every way, every step to get there, he was guiding my steps. And I received the Lord Jesus Christ in July of 1995. So I had people in my life that did that for me. Think about those two words. 
if only. How many times in our lives have we thought to ourselves, if only, and ended up on the negative side? We did not listen. If only I listened to my parents' advice, I wouldn't be in the position I ended. If only I took this other job, I would be much better off now than I am. If only this, if only that. We can probably think of a lot of past experiences in our own lives where it was negative. If only we did this and we only did that. It was the servant girl with no connections. She just knew what would happen if only, if only normally ends up with the negative conclusions and feelings and dismay. But not this one, not with our gospel. God is at work, and when the time is right, just like it was for me, the time is right. Verse 4, Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. What if Naaman and his wife ignored her? Where would he be now? But he did. They didn't. Naaman's wife told her husband about the slave girl's proposition. He might have dismissed it out of hand, but we read that Naaman went to the king. Wow. What persuaded Naaman? And then, lo and behold, the king said, Yes, go. This is a little Israelite slave girl as a slave, and she's given him this advice, and the highest commander of the land, the king of the land, are taking this advice and jumping at it. Why? As earlier, as I said earlier, 1 Corinthians 1, 27, 29, it has ever been God's way to make use of the despised and lowly, and often in circumstances which seem strange to human wisdom. We're studying John on um, Tuesday, so you knew I would try to work something about John in there. Jesus says, my father is always at his work, and I too am working. And God was working right then and there in that Israelite girl's life and also in Naaman's wife, Naaman and the king, sending him on his way to go where he went. Are you kidding me, I say? I think to myself, why, was, why then was Naaman persuaded? Why was the king persuaded? Such a word coming from a nobody, a nameless person with no pedigree or background. They were desperate. They had nothing to lose. No one else had a plan. The servant girl's message was unique. It had a ring of authority. But like I said before, God is sovereign and sees your way through it. Naaman was now misdirected by worldly wisdom of the king. There is wisdom that is not from above, but from below. James says in 3.15, this is not the wisdom that comes from above, but earthly, unspiritual, demonic. The young Israelite girl never said anything about the king of Israel, but had specifically said the prophet who is in Samaria. How often is the sinner who has been awakened to his desperate condition given wrong advice? How often when somebody receives the law, we don't send them to the right places? Or we don't tell them the right things to do? Or maybe we don't have time to talk to them. We just don't feel like it. I don't like that guy. Why am I going to listen to him? I'm not going to talk to him. And we have to take the time to make sure we send people to the right places when they first receive the law. We need a discipleship program or something like that. I think that Brenda and uh, David are doing with Carmen. They're meeting together. It's, it's, it's a great thing, and I think we should do that. More of us should do that as well. Knowing nothing of the God's grace, Naaman assumed he would have to buy his healing. This is why he brought money and gifts. This is typical of worldly wisdom, thinking that God operates as man does. In this world, you have to pay your own way. That's what's going through his mind. He's so far from it right now. He's so high up on that horse that he was on that he still doesn't get it yet. But don't worry. God will get them. It is hard for some of us to make the transition from fleshly wisdom to true heavenly wisdom. 
How many people think that the gift of God can be purchased, if not literally, with money? Simon the Sorcerer asked Peter if he could buy the Holy Spirit, if he could buy the gift of the Holy Spirit to give it to others. How many people think it's by righteousness and righteous works that we can do? And in religious performances, like I did, going to the church, being on the councils, teaching a fifth grade, doing all these things. And remember my testimony, I, I, one more thing I wanted to say, that when I went, when we went to the cove, and this is really, uh, I think I just came to my head now, is that when we got there, they were full. You had to have a reservation, but we didn't have a reservation when we got to the gate. So, but they made a reservation for us. They found a place in the inn for us, and then we had to register. When we registered, that's when we registered for um, the group that we were going to be in, and then a, a, a workshop. Well, the only workshop left was how to lead a small group. I started to laugh. I said, I'll never do that. Can me lead a small group? And I think from that time on, I've been off and on leading small groups, which is amazing. And God knows better than I do, doesn't he? <laughs> than we do, not just me. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be, to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? The king of Aram writes a letter to the king of Israel. The letter being handed by the, handed, hand-delivered by Naaman, the letter is met with a violent reaction. Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? That, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? The, king, the letter to the king of Israel neglected to mention a prophet. A key point in the information, don't you think? Here we, ha- we see the apostate condition, the idolatry of Israel at the time, and shows why God moved the Syrians to oppress them. There was no excuse for the king of Israel to act like that. Instead of getting on and down on his knees and praying God, he acted like a godless man. When Hezekiah had King Sennacherib coming upon him, he sent the letter telling him not to trust in your gods. And that Hezekiah went to the temple, took the letter, laid it down on the floor before God, and he prayed for God's help. And just to fast forward to the end of the story, that night, sometime during the night, 185,000 of their men were killed the next day. And Sennacherib turned around and went home. God heard Hezekiah's prayer. But this king doesn't have God. He is an idol worshiper. And that's why they're doing what they're doing, and that's why they're being forsaken. He should have saw this as an opportunity for God to display his grace and glory like he did with Hezekiah. He thought only of himself, which a lot of us do. Why did he send Elisha? Why didn't he send for Elisha to confer with him? Why? The prophet meant nothing to him. Israel's unbelieving king, and therefore he slighted him. The king of of Israel's conduct is easily accounted for. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. What a contrast between the witness of the young Israelite girl. She was, she was lowly in distressing circumstances, whereas he is the king sitting on a throne. Yet she was concerned about the welfare of her master. He was only concerned about himself. How about us when we have heavy burdens demanded on us, some real test or trial confronting us? Do we respond by saying, I'm not sufficient for this. I can't do that. Let so-and-so do it. They're more gifted for that than I am. Or do we turn to God and persevere through the trial or whatever it is that we're doing? I had the experience that Pastor Rick asked me a while ago if I would preach last Sunday, a couple months ago, because he was going on vacation. And I didn't give him an answer. And finally I said, well, if you can find somebody else, 
You know, I didn't feel like, you know, worthy. And I didn't think I should. And I was afraid a little. But then uh, he asked me if I would do this Sunday. And I didn't answer him. And while I, we went to the Cove, not recently, recently, and while we were down there, I got a text. And he's asking me, do you, are you going to preach the 31st or not? You know? And I didn't answer him. I waited a while until I came home. And I was thinking, should I or shouldn't I? And still, in the back of my mind, something says I should. But in the front, I'm saying, I don't want to get up there and do this. So, you know, it's not easy, I don't think, anyway. But anyway, finally I texted him. I think it was the Monday before he left, was it, Rick? Something like that. Well, anyway, I texted him and says, I'll do it. And then he said, good. I was just getting ready to text somebody else, and I didn't send the text. So, good. I, I wanted you to do it anyway. I said, okay, I'll do it. So, here I am this morning. Yes. Okay. Where was I? Verse 8. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. The slighted Elijah pocketed his pride and communicated with the king rightly concluding that his own feelings were not worth considering where the glory of God was concerned. Do you let your feelings get in the way? I did. I didn't want to do this. <laughs> but, you know, I had to look to the glory of God because, and to help, help my son as well because he was looking for someone to preach. Elisha sent a message to the king and calmed his unbelieving fears and gave him instructions concerning Naaman. Send him to me. The real servant of God does not seek to please man, men, but rather the commission he has received them on high. To exe- rather execute the commission he has received from on high. Verses 9 and 10. So Naaman went with his horses and, high- and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. I love this part. Elisha sent the messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Think about Naaman. Think about all the things I said Naaman had accomplished. Everything about Naaman. Where he is on the chart. He's up here. And Elijah doesn't even come out and meet him. He was a man stricken with the most horrible disease, and yet we see him seated high on his chariot. He has a disease no physician could heal, and yet he is surrendered by the pompous company. He was surrounded by his pompous company. Here is one entirely dependent on God's cure, yet whose horses were laden with silver and gold. Can you see him? Can you see him? Then a representative, not only of the natural man and his sins, but one filled with a sense of his own importance and filled with pride. Isn't that the big thing that keeps a lot of people away from Christ? Our own importance and our own pride. Isn't it? How we cannot bow down to it. Because I, was, I had that spiritual pride. I was doing fine the way I was before. I'm a Christian. Who's, who's going to tell me that I'm not a Christian? Three guys down in North Carolina. <laughs> so, who would have thought that? Waiting outside for the prophet to run out to him, Elisha does not even greet him. Not so much as go out of his house to meet them in person. Instead, he, went as a, he, he sent a servant. God is no respecter of persons, nor should his ministers be either. But he has a reason, Elisha. Elisha knew that Naaman's expectation lay in Elisha. Not in God. So that like a true man of God, he directed his attention away from himself to God. Naaman had to learn the humiliating truth that where divine grace is concerned, the millionaire stands at precisely the same place as the poor man. 
There's no hierarchy. The, the foot of the cross is level. We all come the same way. Sinners in need of grace. The all-important thing was not the messenger, but the message. It mattered nothing who delivered the message, himself or his servant. But it mattered that the God-given word should be faithfully communicated. Do we take the all-important message of the gospel to, of peace to the lost of the God, as God's messengers? Do we actually do that like we should? I mean, I know my wife. I mean, she'll, every time I'm with her, she, if she finds a way to talk to them, she does. And I just kind of, sometimes I used to cringe, but now I, I pray for her as she starts to do it. Now I say, oh, don't do that, don't do that. <laughs> she'll, she did it anyway, but now I, every time she does that, I pray for her as she's getting ready to talk to someone and pray for that person that, that will, um, actually the Holy Spirit will start working in them. Verse 11, but Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me. Stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure my leprosy. Naaman was angry, to say the least. His pride was shot in the eye. I find it amazing that as unbelievers we assume to know how God should act. We have all the answers of life's problems. Just look around the world today. They assume that they can solve everything without God. All we've got to look, climate change, name it. I can name all the different things going on in the world, and there's no mention of God. It's just we have to do things this way. This is the way we do it. Our laws and regulations. We humans will get it done. Wrong. The arrogance to think that you can destroy what God has created is just amazing. It blows me away every time I hear it. So, and I was not supposed to go political, so I'll move on. <laughs> uh, okay. So Naaman also assumes three things as the world assumes. First, he assumes he would meet Elisha. I thought he would come out, surely come out to meet me. Does he know who I am? Look at who I am. Everybody knows who I am. They always bow before me. They always worship me when I go anywhere. He has his entourage with him. Of course, all that gold and silver, he probably had some of his soldiers following him to protect his, his, his interests. He had his servants with him. I mean, he just comes up there and goes up before Elisha's house, and Elisha could be bothered less. That isn't what this is about. So, Then the second he assumes that the prophet would call on the name of the Lord his God. At least he, that he was right about that. Elisha had already done that. Third, he thought Elisha would wave his hand over him and cure the spot of leprosy. Worldly wisdom is not capable of thinking as God does. Impossible. But God said through the prophet Isaiah, My ways are not your, uh, your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. And Proverbs 14.12 says, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. And then he has his own wisdom here. He says, Are not Abana and Fapa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the rivers, waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. And I imagine he was in a rage. Naaman now challenges Elisha's orders, namely that he go dip in the Jordan River. Well, I... Well, Naaman reasoned that the rivers of Damascus were better than any of the waters of Israel. And I read that they were saying that the waters of the Jordan were not that clean, especially in comparison to the waters in Damascus. They were much cleaner. But I don't know if that had anything to do with it. I think it was his pride that was knocked down because Elisha didn't come out and talk to him in person. This fleshly type of thinking people today ask, why go to church? Why do I need to go to church? Uh, I pray at home. 
Why do I need to pray? I can pray at home. Uh, why do I have to go to a Bible study? Fellowship. We need one another. For one reason. There are many things that we do. We, 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 how can we, I don't know. They all have their reasons for not following God and what God asks us, tells us to do, actually. Just not give up the meeting together. I mean, just the same one. Think about it. What Elisha required was unspeakably humbling to the wealthy Syrian commander. I can just feel his anger. Why isn't he doing this my way? Doesn't he know who I am? I can pay him a lot of money. I can give him whatever he wants. Just do it the way I want it done. Think about it. Washing oneself in the, in the uh, Jordan would be embarrassing. Having to do it seven times was all the more embarrassing, especially in front of his entourage. I mean, you've got to do it in front of them. I'm not going to do that. Are you kidding me? Elisha's order did not make sense to Naaman, so Naaman had a better idea and said, Are not Abana and Papa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the rivers, waters of Israel? The natural man always challenges God's wisdom. Likewise, we should expect those who hear the gospel message from us will be challenging us as well. Always have a smokescreen to take you off the focus of the cross. And one other thing that is uh, after I came back from the Billy Graham Training Center, they used to have the Billy Graham Phone Center uh, in Peabody, and when Billy Graham would be on TV, that would be the phone center they would call in. So I signed up for that, and I went there, and, and I was witnessing one time, and I, he says, you say, hello, this is the Billy Graham Training Center. Have you called to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? And this woman is on the phone on the other end. She says, what are you going to tell me about it, sonny boy? And I said, whoa, what am I doing here? <laughs> this is tough. They didn't expect that. You know, you expect someone, yes, I am. No one, tell me about it, you know. So that was a rude awakening, you know. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, now, let me see. God's wisdom, likewise, should expect those who hear that gospel message first. I just said, why the Jordan? By sending him to the Jordan to wash, it would be clearly seen the cure was direct from God. Think about it. The Jordan belonged to Israel's God, from whom he was to expect the cure, not from the gods of Damascus. Can you imagine if he went, to, okay, go to Damascus to dip in the water. The gods of Damascus did it, not the God of Israel. And you think about the Jordan River. I think they part, didn't uh, Elijah and Elisha walk through it? Didn't it divide so they could walk through it? Didn't Joshua have them walk, cross the Jordan River and part that as they walked through it? Definitely God's river. God has already done things in it already. Verse 13, Naaman's servants went, Naaman's servants, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then will you, when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Think of the work of the, think of the, work of the servants in this story. First, it was the young Israelite girl. Then, Elijah's servant who gave him the message from Elisha. And now Naaman's own servants approached him to listen to the message from the prophet. All of this was intended to humiliate, to humbling of the mighty Naaman. See how these events, servants went outside their comfort zones and approached the masters at the, at the risk of punishment and possibly death. It's great, it's, we, it's great mercy to have those around us that will be thoughtful with us and faithfully tell us our faults. We must be willing to hear from 
to, to hear reason from them. Are we ready to go outside of our comfort zone when God calls us? Are we ready to do the thing? I wasn't. I have them here this morning, but I wasn't before to go out of my comfort zone. My comfort zone is to maybe come up here and say the prayer, or like I did last week, or just sit there in the pew. That's my comfort zone. This is not one of my comfort zones. So, The question was respectful. They called him father. For servants must honor and obey their masters with a kind of filial affection. Maybe these servants heard about the prophet from Israel. Or perhaps it was because they were deeply devoted to their masters holding him in high esteem and felt that he was forsaking his own mercies by permitting his wounded pride to now blind his better judgment. At any rate, they saw no sense of coming all the way here to uh, uh, Samaria and then turning around and going back to Aram and not, getting, and not doing anything about it. So if that, for nothing else, we're already here. Just dip in there and let's get it done. Naaman finally descended from his high chariot, his pride. He went down and dipped himself in the Jordan River. That was something he had to do. And until he did it, there was no cleansing for him. He dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, and his flesh restored, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. I could just see Naaman getting off his chariot, walking over to the water, saying, I can't believe I gotta do this. Walks over to the water, is over there, dips in it once, comes back up, nothing. Dips in it again. Come back up, nothing as he's going on. You see him seven times, but then he gets to the seventh time. Dips in the water, comes up. And his body, his skin is like that of a young boy. And all of a sudden, it hits him. He's awakened to the glory of God. Isn't that amazing? I love that part. Seven times also intimidated that God required complete submission of Naaman's will. Nothing short of full surrender of him is of any avail. This is what we have, we are saved. We are, this is who we are. Saved, this is what we who are saved did before we received Jesus Christ. We were made humble and believed in Jesus' finished work at the cross. He paid the full price for our sin, the price we should have paid. He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven to show us the way home. And we openly confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Jesus paid it all to all to him I owe. Sin had left the crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Amen? He did this as, a, as the man of God had told him, because this was the word of God himself. Has your faith definitely seized the, prompt, the gospel promise? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If not, you will never be saved until it has. Faith is the indispensable requirement, for without faith it is impossible to please God. And this is the end coming up, finally, I guess. Then Naaman and his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all of the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will, accept, I will not accept the thing. Even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Naaman returns to the man of God, and this time Elisha came out to meet him in person. Naaman was the first to speak, and he bore witness to the true and living God. Behold, I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel, my Lord and my God. The soul is taught when it is, has received grace. When it's received that phasing grace, saving grace, your soul just opens up. And you can easily confess, my Lord and my God, as Thomas did. 
when he saw Jesus with, his, with the holes in his hands and his feet and his side. Have you made public profession of your faith? Romans 1, 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of the power of God unto salvation. Or do you keep your salvation in private like I did when I was at work? Do you come out in the open with let people know who you are, that you are a Christian? Does the same witnesses from your lips, or are you attempting to be a secret disciple of this? Like something I had to do in the past. When we fully surrender to God, we cannot hide the fact that others, nor should we, wish to. A new life within cannot help but made known by a new life without. Naaman was now taught the freeness of God's grace. When God gives sinners, he gives freely. It was for truly noble reason, then, that Elisha declined the blessing that would name in his hand. He would not compromise blessed truth of grace, of divine grace. He wanted Naaman to return to Syria with this testimony, that the God of Israel had taken nothing from him but his leprosy. He would have him go back, back and decree, declare that his gold and silver were useless, in dealing with the one who gave all for nothing. He gave us his son. God delights in being a giver. If you wish to please him, continue coming before him as a receiver. David said in Psalm 116, 12, and 13, What shall I render unto the Lord for his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. In other words, he rendered to him by receiving more. So if you have not received Jesus Christ, and I don't know where everybody is in here, whether you have or not, if you have not received Jesus, do not walk away with an if-only statement. Because when you stand before God, it will be too late. And you will have, and you will have all you'll have is, if only I went forward, if only I talked to somebody that day. I surrendered that day, I would have become into God's kingdom. If only I surrendered that day, I would have been welcomed into God's kingdom. But will God say, away, away from me, you evildoer, and you will be cast into the lake of fire? If this seems harsh, good, because it is. It is God's truth. He sent his son to die for us, and he says to us, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And if you do not, and if you do, not do what he says, you will die in your sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for your word in the Old Testament, which points completely to your son, Jesus Christ. How you work in our lives, Lord, as you worked in Naaman's life to bring us to salvation, Lord. And I, too, believe that as you brought Naaman to the healing of his leprosy, you possibly brought him to his salvation as well. Lord, I just pray that uh, you be with us, and if somebody hears heard something today and they don't know you, I pray that you work in their hearts now that the Holy Spirit open their eyes of their hearts that they may see and know that the only way is through you, Lord. We don't bring anything with us. We just come naked as we are and you do all the rest, Lord. So guide us as we go and help us this day as we go from here. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.